0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. This episode is
1: brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week, we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we have a conversation to seek to do just that. This week is the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and I am joined by United States Senator Chris Coons of the great state of Delaware, who is a co-sponsor of the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, He has done this uh, before uh, with my friend, uh, United States Senator James Lankford. It's a bipartisan event, Democrats and Republicans uh, working on this. And he and I talked a little bit uh, when we were together at uh, the gathering uh, an event uh, earlier here in Nashville about this year's National Prayer Breakfast, particularly in light of some of the heightened divisions going on in American life right now. Senator Coons, thanks so much for being on The Russell Moore Show.
2: Um, thank you, Dr. Moore. Thank you, Russell, for a chance to be with you. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation in Nashville, and I'm looking forward to continuing it today.
1: You know, I'm uh, not referring to the national prayer breakfast, but I have a little bit of an allergy to prayer breakfast and uh, gatherings, sort of the Thanksgiving uh, event that everyone participates in and so forth. Because a lot of times they're sort of generic civil religion, really just about the community or the country and not really about prayer. How am I wrong on that? And particularly how's the National Prayer Breakfast different than that?
2: Well, Russell, um, let me take a minute and talk with you if I can about um, how the National Prayer Breakfast builds on a foundation um, that I think is much more uh, what you're talking about, which is an authentic uh, circle of engagement and of witness. Um, Every Wednesday in the Senate and every Thursday in the House, uh, a small bipartisan group of senators and uh, members of the House of Representatives gathered, two dozen often, uh, 20, 24, 26 uh, in the Senate, something I've participated in regularly in my 12 years there. Um, and it is off the record. Uh, there's no staff, no press, no lobbyists, no nobody but senators um, and our chaplain. Mm. Um, and as a group, we gather um, to share our concerns about our families and our lives Uh, to pray for each other, um, to hear a piece of scripture read and to sing a hymn. And then um, whoever is that week's uh, guest speaker uh, offers a witness about the role of faith in their life. And um, overwhelmingly, because most members of the Senate are Christian, that's a Christian witness. But we've also had, of course, Jewish members, one Buddhist member, um, others speak uh, over the time that I've been there. Uh, And every time that I woke up in Delaware at 5 a.m., Uh, during the years I was commuting every single day in order to get on a train just after six, in order to make it to the Capitol uh, just after eight for that breakfast. Every time I woke up and thought, really, do I want to do this? What am I going to learn from, say, a Mike Lee or a John Barrasso? I made myself go and was rewarded with some remarkable insights into the heart Mm. and the life of another uh, member of the Senate whose politics might be very different from mine, but whose life experience was well worth hearing. That's really the spirit in which the National Prayer Breakfast began. And Russell, you're right um, that, um, you know, I've been to our uh, state executive leadership prayer breakfast many, many years. I've been to the National Prayer Breakfast many years. Sometimes the size of it, Mm. the number of people, the production of it um, threatens to overwhelm um, the the earnest, uh, humble, spiritual core that should be at the middle of it or at the center of it. And and frankly, that's partly why um, a group of us in the House and Senate um, have worked in the last two years uh, to move um, towards uh, restoring some of the intimacy and the smaller scale. Um, The National Prayer Breakfast Foundation is now separate um, from the International Foundation that had long funded and hosted the National Prayer Breakfast Um, They are still in some conversation because the speeches given in the Capitol Visitor Center will be uh, live cast and watched by a gathering up at the Hilton and hopefully around the country and world. Um, But after a two year hiatus, when most of the national prayer breakfast was virtual because of the pandemic, uh, we're reconvening this year in the Capitol Visitor Center. Members of Congress and one guest only, mostly spouses. Um, to hear from two different, uh, really well-regarded preachers. Um, I can't tell you who they are, but I think um, we, you'll, viewers will be pleasantly surprised at the uh, capabilities, the authenticity, the, the uh, preaching um, um, skills and background of our uh, keynote speakers and our president. Uh, we'll have a musical guest, um, but it's, it's trying to get back to that root. And I think your criticism is well-founded that sometimes Um, public events can become more performative um, than spiritually authentic. And that's part of where the prayer breakfast began, where it is, I believe, every week in these small, humble gatherings and where I'm hoping Thursday's national prayer breakfast uh, will turn.
1: There's been a little bit of uh, controversy, might be too strong of a word, but conversation about the International Foundation not uh, sponsoring and, and supporting Uh, the National Prayer Breakfast this year. Of course, there have been some people who have put this uh, shadowy idea of the family uh, in in really conspiratorial uh, terms. Is there anything really to that? Or or is this just a natural handing over of the reins?
2: Look, I think um, what motivated the members, both House and Senate, Republican and Democrat, uh, who embraced this opportunity for a reset, Uh, was a chance to have more clarity. Um, As you know, your friend and mine, Senator Langford, uh, chaired the Ethics Committee in the last Congress, and I was his ranking member. Now I'm chairing it, and he's my ranking member. Um, To be blunt, when we were the co-chairs of the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, it was difficult uh, for us to be able to confirm that we knew um, who was invited, by whom they were invited, how the funds were raised, um, and and we felt, and, and I'm not speaking for James, but I, I'll just describe conversations that we had. Um, I, I think we both had some unease about the difficulty of uh, demonstrating that we were fully engaged in and aware of exactly how um, the, the big event with thousands of people and a massive budget, uh, what its origins were and who was donating and who was coming. And so when there were some critiques raised about how inclusive or exclusive that event was, and in particular um, foreign visitors and what their motives were, you know, I think James gave a very um, agile and appropriate response. He said, you know, when, uh, when I go to church on Sunday, there's a lot of people with mixed motives uh, walking in the door. <laughs> and uh, so when the critics of the larger National Prayer Breakfast started uh, really criticizing who was there, Um, Both James and I said, you know, we didn't review the guest list and we're not personally accountable for who's in this audience. We were accountable for who the speakers are um, and the program. Unfortunately, Russell, over a number of years, the nation really only got to see the two minute clip or the 30 second clip of this president or that president, Mm. this critic or that critic of the president. And it was miscast as a political undertaking. Mm -hmm. When in fact, if you attended the whole event, um, the arc of it was really um, inspiring. I do think this reset allows us um, to focus on the core mission uh, which is a celebration of the power of prayer in the spirit of Jesus. Uh, It is not a Christian triumphalist gathering. It is open to all faiths and people of all backgrounds. And my hope is that this year's guest list will reflect that. Um, that the speakers will reflect that. Um, I've offered some input um, for the president on his remarks, and I'm hopeful that his spirit will reflect that. To the extent that we can show a spirit of humility, uh, bipartisanship, or even nonpartisanship, um, and a respect for each other in the inclusive um, way that Jesus um, witnessed to the world and opened his arms to the world, um, then I think we'll have done something good.
1: You and James Lankford would probably have exactly opposite voting records on on most
2: literally it it has caused us to chuckle some you know look one of the best things that's happened to me in the senate is a genuine friendship with james um i look forward to seeing him first thing on mondays when we come back for votes we ask each other about our families we witness to we we visit with each other about sort of how are you and um then we go like this on our votes (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> so someone was telling me, uh, James and I have been friends for years and years, and someone visited uh, his church and went to the nursery to put their toddler uh, in the nursery for Sunday school and said so there were several teachers uh, there. Uh, one of them was James Langford, and uh, that this person didn't even know until later that this was a United States senator. And uh, just just uh, there, plugged in with his congregation, just like everybody else. That's, that's not... That's not what a lot of people think of when they think of national leadership in the country right now.
2: Well, that's um, the kind of leadership that I respect, Um, the humility that invests time uh, in a way that isn't designed to get, um, you know, Twitter followers or visibility on cable. But um, I've invited uh, James uh, to come to Delaware. He has. He's been the speaker at our uh, annual uh, leadership prayer breakfast here. And gave powerful and I thought um, moving and authentic remarks and he invited me to come to Tulsa and spend time with him at the centennial of the Tulsa race massacre and I have Um, I hope to do more of that with him in the future Um, look our schedules are far too busy in the senate we don't spend enough time um, being you know part of the kindergarten uh, staff at our home churches I, I can literally see my church from the window of my office right here and was just reflecting on the fact that uh, I probably won't make it uh, this weekend. I have other commitments in Washington and New York. Um, and too often, I allow the schedule of demands of the office to override um, the the commitments and um, community um, that I believe I'm also called to be a part of.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp with summer coming up i'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long you know we all have stressors some are big and some are small like an increased grocery bill but therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Russell Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Russell Moore.
1: How is it in these gatherings of uh, senators, the weekly, not the big uh, public, but the, the weekly sort of prayer gatherings? I imagine it would be difficult to really have transparency and vulnerability when you know you're going to be in just a, a few minutes arguing against uh, one another on really important issues. Uh, and it, it's it could almost be, I would think, sort of letting down your guard with your opponents and your rivals. Is that difficult, do you think, for some people? Or have you been able to figure out how to do it?
2: Russell, That's you, you've got your finger on it. That is exactly what makes it so powerful mm. is that you know you're standing up and, and if you really embrace the opportunity, really unburdening your heart, really showing who you are to folks who maybe you don't spend a lot of time close and visiting with, And I still remember, I, you know, look, one of the rules about prayer breakfast is we don't talk in detail about what anybody says. Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about myself. The very, very first time that I spoke at prayer breakfast, I talked about my now late father and what a risk he took when I was a child to not just volunteer as part of a prayer ministry in my home church at our state prison, but to welcome to our home a convicted murderer who was a part of a, of a Bible study group in Delaware State Prison. And he had three young boys at the time. You know, when your parents do something, you just think, okay, well, that's just my parents doing it. It wasn't until I was a parent many, many years later that I had any idea what an act of humble courage that was. Uh, My mom also, um, through our church, volunteered to welcome a Vietnamese refugee family. This was in the mid 70s when there were, you know, thousands of uh, refugees from South Vietnam. Uh, Mr. Vien uh, had fought in the South Vietnamese army and was taken to a a re-education camp uh, by the North Vietnamese and separated from his family and escaped and walked across Cambodia and Thailand and found his family. And so I'm, I, I spoke at Prayer Breakfast about the impact of these role models I had and then about uh, how I was trying to apply the gospel and how I tried to live my life and, you know, with my wife, raise our kids and things I've done in private life and public life. And at the end of it, um, so two things. At the end of that session, a senator came up to me literally with tears in his eyes and asked me to forgive him. Ooh. And I said, You know, uh, tell me why. And he said, well, I believed everything that I heard about you from your opponent and on radio. And I thought you were a horrible human being, a Marxist, a crazy man, a leftist, you know, determined to destroy America. Uh, And I literally was praying for your defeat. Uh, I contributed to your opponent. um, And now that I get a chance to actually hear you, um, I realized I was wrong. And I thought that was one of the most genuine moments of vulnerability uh, I've ever, and I said, of course. Um, and that that began a really strong friendship. To your point about how hard it is to throw a punch at each other, at least in in debate, on the floor, when you've held hands that morning in prayer. John Barrasso is one of the most talented and the most partisan uh, at floor debate. And uh, this literally happened to us. Um, we were doing a joint uh, TV interview on something um, when I'd spoken at prayer breakfast. And, uh, all I remember is that, you know, we were going back and forth about this particular proposal. And I had this subjective sense of, I said something and I thought, Oh, nuts. I've stuck my chin out too far. He is going to clock me. (laughs) I'd said something that really wasn't as what really wasn't what I meant to say. And I gave him a perfect opening and I sort of winced thinking, okay, here it comes. And he didn't, he changed the subject. And afterwards I said, John, you had a clear shot there, buddy. Come on. <laughs> like, like, what was that? I, I said, is that because of this morning? And he kind of looks away and goes, well, don't count on me doing that again. But yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I've had experiences like this where, um, you know, when my father died and I had to go to the floor of the Senate um, before I could go um, be with my family, The first two people who came up and gave me real hugs and words of comfort were conservative Republicans I'd met through the prayer breakfast. Mm. And um, I hope the same back. I hope that I was as good, you know, not a colleague in the Senate, but as good a a real friend um, to them. Mm. Uh, One's lost his wife. She passed two years ago and the other his father. And look, serving in the Senate, being in public life, it's hard. Mm -hmm. You're always on. People are always critical. Uh, no matter what you say, I'm, I'm sure in response to this podcast, I'll get dozens of critiques. Um, and one of the things that is special, Russell, about being a part of a weekly group that is vulnerable to each other is nobody else really understands um, the possibilities and the demands of this life. Uh, like other people who are trying to be faithful, trying to navigate um, the, the calling that we share um, and and yet, you know, comes at it from a different perspective, and there is a certain uh, grace or joy in being able to actually fellowship with people who maybe don't share your political agenda, but who maybe share um, your core concerns, just as a husband and a father and a and a family member and someone trying to do right, um, even in such a difficult and divided moment for our nation.
1: I was talking one time to a group of my sons. Uh, school uh, to sort of a career day kind of thing. And one of the students asked the question, don't you think it's kind of fake the way these guys in the House and the Senate, they they hate each other, but then they'll get up and say, my distinguished, uh, my distinguished colleague, the right honorable gentleman from wherever. Uh, and I said, actually, I think maybe that was a problem before, but now it seems to me it's almost more dangerous for people who are on opposite sides of an issue to admit that they actually like each other. (laughs) Uh, and so, I mean, if, if you have Nancy Pelosi standing up and saying, uh, I'm, praying for Ted Cruz right now and I really like him as a person even though we disagree or Ted Cruz getting up and saying I really respect Nancy Pelosi as a person even though we disagree both of them are going to get just barraged uh, with people in their bases saying how dare you say something good about does that seem to be getting worse in your view?
2: Look it is uh, on some level you're absolutely right um, that you um Things are sharper and more personal, and many of us uh, represent a base that expects us to throw punches rather than extend open hands. Um, But bluntly, um, you know, I I, I can really only speak for myself because I'm responsible for my conduct. Um, One of the reasons that um, when I was asked to co-chair the prayer breakfast uh, by Tim Kaine, who was then running for vice president to stand in his place, And, you know, the unexpected outcome from my perspective was that President Trump was elected uh, and I went through with it with John Bozeman. One of the reasons I asked President Trump for the opportunity to pray for him and was comfortable and confident doing so on what was a nationally televised moment um, was that I I genuinely um, was praying for um, his heart to be opened and touched. From my perspective, um, the order he had just signed, um, uh, barring uh, refugees from certain countries, uh, was an unfortunate decision. I wasn't praying. I did not use the words or the content of what I said to try and argue a point. I was simply saying, um, you know, this is our president, please, um, Lord, um, open his heart and, and, uh, and support him in the service. And yeah, I got a ton of criticism for that. I got mm-hmm. a lot of folks incoming saying, how can you possibly be seen praying with this man? And I said to many folks, did you not ever hear of the phrase pray for your enemies? Mm-hmm. Um, President Trump is a political opponent, um, but the goal here is to try and help break down the barriers of who we see as enemy Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things um, I've encouraged President Biden in saying over and over, and and this comes from him, it's not from my saying it to him, um, when he's talked about the the battle for the soul of our nation um, to also as much as he can demonstrate um, that for him, that also requires a certain humility and a certain willingness to say this person, um, while they are a political opponent and have different policy priorities, they're not my enemy. In fact, I think he said that in his inaugural address, that we need to see each other as being Americans first and being fellow citizens first and as opponents last and be willing to have a spirit of of compromise and of um, commonality. I do think we're in a dangerous moment for our country, Russell, exactly as you identified in that even saying that, you know, James Langford is a genuine friend and I enjoy his company or that and I can give you a list of several. There's a number of Republicans I really enjoy and I like working with and traveling with. I just went to the border two weeks ago with a bipartisan group of eight senators, Cornyn and Tillis and uh, Chris Murphy and I, and, and many others, Sinema and, and Kelly and uh, Moran um, and Lankford. Um, and every single meeting we were in, every meeting we were in in both places, Yuma um, and, uh, and El Paso, The folks there started by saying, we've had lots of visitors. We've never seen a bipartisan delegation come here. Mm. And I was so struck by that, that they were all encouraged by the fact that, you know, from John Cornyn to Chris Murphy, you had this whole range of senators trying to listen to what their problem was. Russell, I remain hopeful that your average American Um, not not those who post the most on social media, not those who yell the loudest on cable, but I remain convinced that your average American actually wants us to solve problems more than we fight with each other.
1: You and I would agree on a lot of things, including probably um, migrant children, refugee uh, children coming across the border, those sorts of questions. One, One area I think where we would disagree is, it happens to be one of the most explosive issues in the country right now. After the Dobbs uh, decision, repeal overturning uh, Roe versus Wade earlier this summer, and that's the issue of uh, abortion. As a religious, uh, church-going person, are you bothered at all? As someone who um, who supports uh, the right to abortion, does that is that something you wrestle with? I suppose is what I'm, I'm asking.
2: There's a whole series of things, Russell, that I wrestle with um, that as I went through divinity school and took classes in Christian ethics or gospel ethics. And um, as I read um, scripture and try my best to be a faithful person, um, I recognize and I would hope others recognize um, that the gospel is not a political tract. It does not deliver a clear agenda that says of these things, you must make your first priority and of these things. Um, you know, people of faith should have nothing to do with it or be concerned about it. Um, There are scripture passages, as you know, that um, condemn, for example, swearing or blasphemy or adultery uh, for which we no longer stone people. Um, And the the scriptural passages, in my view, about poverty, about inequality, about how we treat the stranger among us um, are abundant and clear. And so the way I look at this Um, I have to make choices. I think everyone who chooses to be um, an identified Republican and part of that agenda has to make choices. I think every Democrat has to make choices and say, okay, out of the things that I find in scripture that we're called to do, I really, really believe this is our number one and two and three and four priority. And these, um, I am hoping for forgiveness. Um, I hope that when I'm um, should I ever be um, blessed enough to have the chance to to ask, you know, Lord, what was it you most wanted me to do in this life? I'm hoping um, that I'm reading it right and that I'm making the choices right. But you know, uh, I'm Presbyterian, uh, and our roots are in Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, part of the doctrinal challenges of Calvinism are the uh, belief in the the fundamental depravity of humanity, our inability, to actually reason our way to a correct answer. And so from that comes in my heart, a sense of um, reliance on unearned grace um, and an undeserved calling. So um, I'm giving you an imprecise answer, which is um, there are a number of things that trouble me uh, where co-religionists, people who share uh, my sense uh, of our place in the world and have what I'd call a kingdom perspective, We reach very different conclusions about what are the top issues in terms of the role of government, the role of government in reaching into people's private lives. Um, I had a a wonderful visit in Missouri uh, with a former Senator who is the only other um, Yale Law School, Yale Divinity School graduate to serve in the Senate. And um, it was an interesting conversation. And he basically said to me, remember this, Chris, you, and folks like you tend to believe that it's inappropriate for government to dictate about who we can marry um, our reproductive choices who we can love but your perspective is that it's fine for the government to reach into my pocket and tax me in order to fund what you view as the highest callings about you know clothing the poor and the naked and helping the widow and orphan and welcoming the foreigner amongst you Um, In both cases, this is essentially a question about what is the proper role of government in carrying out those things that we think uh, are the highest and best uh, callings of our faith. Russell, I don't know if I answered your question, but the short answer is, of course I'm troubled about a very wide range of things where I make decisions every day um, about wealth and poverty, about privilege, um, about how I speak and with whom I speak. Um, And I hope if nothing else, what I convey to people and how I try to conduct myself is that I try to do so with humility and with clarity that um, I struggle with a, a significant number of decisions that I make year in and year out, both as a husband and a father, as a member of a congregation and a community, and as an elected official.
1: What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was
0: a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago, on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post October seventh world.
1: Six thirty a.m. We're we're in, in in our synagogue praying,
2: and sirens go off, and they're and they're going on. And on. Everybody, everybody
0: based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November. It's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict.
2: When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much.
1: I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here,
0: over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place.
1: I suppose one of the things that strikes me is that it's, it's really a temptation for all of us to make invisible the stranger among us. And and it's really hard in a tribal time when it's really difficult for some conservative Republicans to say, migrant kids, refugee kids, we need to pay attention to them. And it's really hard, it seems, in the Democratic Party now to say, the unborn child is our neighbor, and we ought to be able to find nonviolent means to love both mom and, and child. I think that's a maybe that's a challenge in front of us uh in the years to come. Do you think if you think about the way that the night the 2016 and 2020 elections uh just seemed uniquely dividing? Uh churches, families, people don't speak to each other uh after those elections. And I think a lot of people thought. If we get past the Trump era, uh, things will cool down and they don't seem to be cooling down. As we come into 2024, is that going to happen all over again, uh, first of all? And second of all, I know you're, you're close friends with uh, President Biden. Do you think it's time to turn the page and not have two 80-year-olds uh, running for president, but uh, in both parties to hand things over to a new generation?
2: That's Russell. That's called a leading question. (laughs) Um, I think I know your view on this. Um, I will tell you, you know, it's funny you mention it. I I literally earlier today uh, was talking with a friend about um, one of my best friends from high school, you know, someone who I had all those experiences you have as a teenager um, and who later was my housemate. We lived together for several years. I was in his wedding, Um, you know, like we were that close um, over over the 2020 election has just completely um, severed all ties with me. He he was very angry and uh, mistakenly believed that the election was stolen. That I somehow facilitated a stolen election, um, and that really bothers me. I I miss him as a friend, and it mm-hmm. it weighs on me. Um, and I I know that's happened in lots of families. Uh, folks who work for me. Um, over the last couple of years, have hesitated to go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas because yeah. they had extended family. You know, they're often the only member of their family who works in politics, and so when everybody gathers around the table in you know Kansas or Wisconsin or wherever they're from, you know, the whole family sort of says, "Okay, you work in the Senate, so <laughs> how can you support these heathen?" You know, um, I would I would disagree with your assumption that the Trump era is over. Um, mm-hmm. I think. Our former president is still very much in the news and uh, with his restored social media presence will continue to be an influence. Um, uh, There are a number of my colleagues uh, in the Senate, uh, both parties, um, who think that our country would be better off um, if we move forward from the two contestants of 2020 um, and the former and current president. Um, Look, if President Biden chooses to run again, I will support him. Um, I think he has a remarkable record uh, to run on, in particular, including the way he's pulled all of us together to support Ukraine in, in fighting back against Russian aggression. Um, and I know there's many in our country who don't see his record the way I do, but I'm I'm proud to support him. Um, I do think that when he ran in 2020, he talked a lot about wanting to be a bridge uh, to a next generation of leadership. Um, And I do think uh, both parties would benefit from having a candidate other than former President Trump. So um, I'll say this, um, no one deserves more than um, President Biden the chance to um, enjoy his family and his grandchildren and to um, rest some after 50 years in elected service. Um, But I also think he has shown in the last two years that um, the experience that he has built up over 50 years Uh, made him almost uniquely qualified um, to see the challenges of the world of China and Russia and um, to help us confront them and to deal with them. So um, I continue to support him and to be his friend. Um, I do think that, you know, as a country, um, whoever is our next president, it's my real hope that they will succeed in bringing us together. If you go back and, you know, listen to what uh, President Biden said at the prayer breakfast um, in his inaugural it was very much focused on trying to bring americans together um that's more challenging now than ever um i don't think he had expected the pandemic to be as uh, politicized and divisive as it was um and i do think that after so much loss for so many american families uh, my hope is that we can move forward there's still so much opportunity in this country um so many people inventing things and coming up with new ideas and um, so many businesses growing and so many uh, jobs and possibilities that I continue to be optimistic about the future of our country uh, and hopeful that this next election will actually bring us together um, rather than drive us further apart.
1: You mentioned social media uh, and the social media platforms. Uh, When you consider both sort of misinformation, disinformation, polarization, largely contributed to by social media presence. And then uh, TikTok, questions of uh, national security uh, around uh, TikTok. And of course, the questions that most people aren't even thinking about right now in terms of artificial intelligence and chat GPT and those, those sorts of technologies. Are we at a point where the technology is so complex that it's impossible to regulate it and to, to get ahead of it the way that we we did other forms of media in the past.
2: Um, Congress is not uh, covered in glory in its record on um, regulating rapidly developing and emerging media. Um, I, I chaired the uh, subcommittee on um, technology privacy and the law in the last Congress and um, tried very hard to work with senators, Sass and Flake over the last two Congresses to make progress in this area. And, and bluntly, it's been very difficult. Uh, we don't have updated privacy regulations comparable to what the EU or the state of California um, have passed. Um, I would have hoped we could have crafted something more bipartisan, more American, more effective. Um, when you talk about the next chapter, which is artificial intelligence, quantum computing as uh, semiconductors, um, President Biden and uh, a number of our national security leaders are trying very hard Um, to step up to the very real challenge presented by China um, and China's advances in these fields. Um, We used to, decades ago, think about technologies being national security or purely commercial. Today, the number of technologies that are truly dual use that impact both um, our private lives uh, and our national security have grown. You referenced TikTok as a a Chinese uh, origin social media platform. Um, One of uh, Senator Hawley's bills that actually was adopted unanimously at the end of the last Congress was uh, preventing or forbidding TikTok to be downloaded onto government-owned phones and um, computers. Um, I think that was the right thing. Uh, And bluntly, I think we need to know more about how the algorithms that drive social media platforms contribute to our distraction and division. Um, Senator Portman and I had a bill in the last Congress to try and do that, to Uh, get under the hood of social media platforms and help um, the average American know what in our gut we think is is right. Most of us as parents are concerned about the impact of Instagram um, on our children and their sense of self. Uh, Most of us who live in politics have seen um, the ways that social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, others, uh, drive polarization. Uh, We're not doing a great job of regulating. Um, your question really, Russell, was, is it beyond our ability to regulate? Um, and although I'm, uh, although I'm part of a denomination with Calvinism at its root, I do still believe in the potential um, of compromise and of rational discourse and of our uh, capacity to regulate, although, you know, that's the whole underpinning of democracy is it depends not on a few uh, technocrats at the top, but on the will of the American people. The number of Constituents, parents, colleagues, friends here in Delaware who've said to me, I'm really worried about what social media is doing uh, to my kids, to our community. Um, That says to me, the American people are ready for us to act on this um, and we need to step up and be deserving of their concerns.
1: You are the only other senator, United States Senator, I have talked to about total depravity and TULIP, uh, the other being <laughs> Ben Sass, who of course is now uh, president of the University of Florida. Before, before you go, uh, we have uh, listeners across the political spectrum, uh, left to right. Uh, and uh, how, how could all of them uh, be praying for you?
2: Um, look, I would just um, be grateful for anyone who's willing um, to include me in their prayer list. Um, just pray that I might um, continue um, to to be um safe and that my family is safe. Um, this is a difficult time. If you've talked with Senator Sass, many of us are concerned about our safety, um, that I might have humility, um, and that my heart might be opened and be touched. Um, and that my constituents might understand. Um, sometimes I think there's a real tension between being an elected official. Um, Many of my colleagues don't talk about their faith because they don't want to have constituents feel um, distanced from them or disconnected from them or worry that they have a a moral agenda or a personal agenda that doesn't fit with serving them well. Um, I made a choice early on when running to to tell people that my faith informs my service, um, but that I try to serve in a way that um, is still respectful of people of many faiths and those who have no faith. Um, So... Um, I would welcome prayers across all of that. I know that was a very long list. Um, and in the end, I, I think scripture teaches us that it is simply the the, the act of humility and of worship and, and, and prayer. And we should have confidence that God knows uh, those things which we ask for his help with.
1: Senator Chris Coons, best wishes to you as you lead the National Prayer Breakfast this week. And uh, thank you, sir, for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Wonderful to be on with you. Thanks
1: for listening. Links are always in the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode, including a link about how you can have a trial membership to Christianity Today. Be sure to subscribe to the program, send an episode along to a friend who might benefit from it, and leave us a review when you can. It helps other people to find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Russell Moore, and this is The Russell Moore Show from Christianity Today.
0: The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosbert. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers Abby Perry and Azrae Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Production assistance provided by Core Media. Audio engineer is Kevin Duthu. Coordinator is Beth Grabencourt. Video producer is John Rowland. The theme song for the Russell Moore show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton.
1: This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan. Discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.